In November of 1703, Rabbi David Nieto delivered a controversial sermon at the Bevismark Synagogue in London, causing a rift in the local Jewish community. The cause of the feud may have been mundane politics, but ultimately it forced a thought-provoking rabbinic responsum from one of the greatest luminaries of the age, discussing nature, God, deism, and pantheism. Rabbi Tzvi Ashkenazi, famously known as the Chacham Tzvi, was a famous Rav in Europe who lived during the 1600s and the early 1700s. And he has a sefer of Shalos Etshuvas, that's called Shalos Etshuvas Chacham Tzvi. And Simen Yud Ches opens with the following. First, he gives you the year that is Tov Samach He, which comes out to the year 1705, so we know when the story transpires, in the year 1705. What's the Maisa? So he writes it like this. Shaila min haparnosim vamanhigim. I got a question from the leaders in the community at Shabikihila Kdoisha Londres, which is the city of London. And this is their question. What's the question? There's a Chacham Hamarumam Benayla. There's a very special rabbi. And his name is Kvoid Mareno Arav David Nato. And he is the Av Bastin. And he is the Moiret Tzedek in this Kehilak Doisha that's called Sharei Shamay. To this day in London, in the East End, there is a synagogue that's called the Bevis Marks or Bevis Marks Synagogue. And it, on the top of the building, it says that it was established, I think it says 1701 or 1702. And this is when that shul was built. And it says the word Shalei Shemayim, that's the name of this congregation. A little background. For many years, Jews were not allowed to live in England. They were expelled around the year 1290, and they were not readmitted until the mid-17th century. Who were the first Jews to move to England? It was the Sephardim. It was the Jews who had left Spain and Portugal. Some of them had left as Moranos, and then they re-embraced their Judaism or their descendants, and they were looking for places to live. So one of the famous places they went was to Amsterdam. And that was the primary community of these former Moranos that were living in Amsterdam. Some came to New York. That was the first kehila that began in New York City was, uh, was uh, this, same, uh, this same type of Jew. And likewise in London. So they moved to London. And so this kehila is just getting started. And so they build this shul in 1701 or 1702. And they have, and, uh, they have this rabbi. Who is the rabbi? The rabbi is Rabbi David Nato. We'll talk more about him in a second. And uh, they have this shaila, and they're turning to the shaila. They're turning with their shaila to the Chacham Tzvi. What happened? That David Nato was Dorash Bebeis Hakneses Drushze. He gave the following sermon. And in order for the Chacham Tzvi, who did not read Spanish, to be able to understand what the speech said, it was translated into Hebrew. So in other words, the Rabbi David Nato gave a speech in the shul in the year 1704, 1705. We'll see the exact same date soon, the exact dates soon. And this speech, this speech was controversial, problematic, so much so that they turned to the Chacham Tzvi for help and for guidance about this issue. So let's, for a minute, talk about a little bit about who this Rabbi David Nato was. He was born to uh, 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 parents who had come from Spain and Portugal. Um, and he grew up in Italy, and he gets offered the Rabbanus, the position of being the Rav in London of this community in the year 1701. And so he moves there, and he becomes the Rabbi. Now what happens is, immediately, 
he realizes there was a big crisis in the community of the Spanish and Portuguese Jews. And, that, and this led him to, uh, to author a book that's called Mata Don. What was the problem he observed? The problem he observed was the following. You know, there are people who grow up and they know that they're Jewish, but they didn't have a Jewish education. But they knew, their parents told them that they're a Jew. So they understood that if they're going to re-embrace Judaism, it's going to mean that they're not supposed to work on Saturday, the seventh day, rather than Sunday. They understood that. They understood that they're going to need a bris milah. They understood that things in Torah Shabbat they understood. But then what happened was that when they would come to join a Jewish community and they started learning all of a sudden about Yom Tev Sheni Shogolius, and they started learning about other Dinim de Rabbanon, and they started learning about Machloikasin and things like that, this was very foreign to them. When growing up as, as, as Christians, just knowing that they were Jews, they had no clue about this whole concept of Tarsh Bapeh. And in fact, if they had any education about it, they probably heard negative things about it. And so what happened was that during the 1600s, there were a few instances of where Jews expressed their dissatisfaction. These Spanish and Portuguese Jews expressed dissatisfaction or disbelief in different inyanim and Tarsh Bapeh. So Rabdavid Nieto faced this problem. And so he had to write a sefer. And he wrote a sefer called Mata Don Kuzari Sheni. There was a sefer that was written hundreds of years before that was called the Kuzari. Can't get too much into it. But basically, Rabbi Yoda Alevi wrote a whole sefer that was dealing with Hashkafa issues, and he wrote it as a dialogue, and that was called the Kuzari. So Rabbi David Nato emulated that and wrote a whole other dialogue, but modern, dealing with modern issues, the questions that he was being confronted with. So you see, if you look at the second text here, you'll see that this, the, the Vikuach Risha, and what is the, he, he set it up as a dialogue between uh, a, a, a king who wants to learn about Judaism, just like the original Kuzari, and a rabbi. So the first Vikuach Risha, in the first discussion, is going to prove that all of the mitzvahs that were commanded uh, to our ancestors, Sai the mitzvahs Hasei and the mitzvahs Lois Hasei, these were all existed, Baal Peh, uh, uh, before, they were, uh, before they were transcribed into the Torah, number one. Number two, during the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, and during the time of the Nevi'im and Sadikim, the Yidin always had Torah Shabbat Number three, we need to have Torah Shabbat even for the mitzvahs that seem obvious to us from the Torah. This is something that we have to have. So you're able to get a taste of the types of things that he's trying to deal with in this, in this Sefer. But this Sefer he published around the year 715. Let's back up to the year 1704. The Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the year, comes. And Rav David Nato sends an urgent message to his community. What's the message? The message is that the group, the group that he himself had excommunicated, the group of Jews who he has said cannot step foot into the shore, the group of Jews that he stripped them of their membership, because it's Yom Kippur, and Yom Kippur is a time that everyone needs to come to shul. And we say before Kol Nidre that we want, we give permission to Davin Imavaryanim. So therefore, I'm inviting them that they could come back. And not only they could come back for Yom Kippur, they could stay through Hashanah Rabbah, and then after the excommunication is going to go back on. What is this excommunication? Why were there Jews excommunicated that required this whole workaround for Yom Kippur? So you go back a few months to the month of Adar of the same year, in the year 1704. There's a Jew by the name of Yeshua Tzarfati, who is a card-carrying member of this Shari Shemaim synagogue in London. And there's a Hasana. There's a chasana, and uh, Rabbi David Nato is at the chasana. Yeshua Tsarfati refuses to enter the house. He says, I am not going into this house where the wedding is being celebrated. Why? Because David Nato, Rabbi David Nato is inside, and he's a heretic. So I refuse to be under the same roof with him. Now, had he kept this to himself, probably wouldn't have been a problem. But he informed another member of the Kehillah. 
that member of the kahila let the community council, the leaders of the community, let them know. And this turned into a big issue. They summoned him, they summoned, they summoned Yeshua Tzarfati, and they said to him, what is this business? You didn't want to walk into the room with the, the rabbi. He said, yeah, the rabbi's a heretic. I confirm, I stand by it. Okay, why was he a heretic? So first of all, all of this information that we have, there's a book that's called History of the Ancient Synagogue of the Spanish and Portuguese Jews, put out by Rabbi Moses Gaster the year 1901, and he had access to all of the documents that have this whole controversy. There's also an article by a man named Israel Solomons from 1931. He also had access to this, this correspondence, the letters, the back and forth, and so uh, all of this information is coming from there. So why did Yahshua Tzarfati consider the rabbi a heretic and didn't want to be under the same roof? This brings us back to earlier that year, really it's the end of 1703, the end of 1703, the 20th of November, which was Chav Gimel Kislev, Shabbos Parshas Vayeshev, which is the exact same Kriyas as this Shabbos. This coming Shabbos is going to be Chav Gimel Kislev, Shabbos Parshas Vayeshev. And what happened was that uh, <coughs> Reb David Neto gave a speech. And in this speech, he said certain words, and we'll see the words that uh, we'll see the content of the speech that, he's, that, he, that, that was so uh, 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 problematic. And this is why Yeshua Tzarfati said, I can't be under the same roof, uh, roof with him. And he tells the community that he's willing to bet 100 pounds that he's right. And so therefore they need to find a Bezdin, a third party Bezdin. And they're going to show who's right. Is Yeshua Tzarfati right? Or is Rav David Nato uh, right? Anyway, the community wasn't really interested in this, and so that's why he was banned, which is why he and his friends had to be invited back, because he went out with a few people who agreed with him, they had to be invited back to come back for a Yom Kippur. During this whole controversy, one of the members of these dissenters passed away, and his name was Rabbi Yosef Cohen de Azveda. Now, he was a rabbi, so he would have deserved a prominent plot in the cemetery in London. But Poyle the, this meant the man named Solomon, who I mentioned earlier, investigated and found that he was buried all the way on the outskirts of the cemetery, which was normal. In those days, someone who passed away when they were excommunicated was not buried in the main part of the cemetery. This is, uh, he passed away during this particular controversy. Okay, so it's, it's, matters are getting worse. And in fact, there's some evidence that they, when people were excommunicated, went to the secular authorities and they said, Look what's going on over there. They excommunicated us. They said we can't go into the shul. The rabbis and the community uh, leaders shouldn't have that type of power. And they, got, they involved the attorney general in London on this issue. So obviously things got out of hand. So the first thing is Rabdav and Nato published a pamphlet defending himself. Okay, so he, he did that. But that didn't help anything. And so now they're going to talk to the community decides, okay, we're going to actually get outside help. Who's going to help us out? So the flagship institution of Spanish-Portuguese Jewry is in Amsterdam. So they send a message to the Kehillah in Amsterdam that says, we have this issue, can you help resolve? The bottom line is that they did not get an answer. And then, the, the, that's when the official community wrote. There were a few individuals that wrote a letter, and that we're going to read part of their letter now. They also wrote to Amsterdam, help us out. They also did not get a response. Let's read from a little of the letter that these individuals wrote. They wrote as follows. It must be known to your excellencies that this holy congregation is at present in a turmoil through the doctrine which was preached in our pulpit on the 23rd of Kislev, 5464, which again is the year 1703, corresponding with 20th November 1703. I don't think today you can have 20th November coming out on 23rd of Kislev, but then the calendar, this is before the reform 
of the calendar, the Gregorian calendar. Then it was still the Julian calendar. So things were 10 days. Uh, uh, there was a 10-day difference. So I think um, that would explain this. Uh, on the Anyway, so it was Parsha of Ayesha of Yaakov. And it is as follows. So what did he say? They're writing to Amsterdam. This is what he said. They say that I have said in the yeshiva, meaning with Talmudim, that God and nature and nature and God are the same. This is a speech he's giving in front of the congregation. They say, I said that God and nature is one. I did say so. I affirm it and I will prove it. This is the tamsis of the controversy, is the fact that he linked nature and God. And that he said the two are one and the same. And so they write to Amsterdam, is this kosher? Is this okay what he said? Is it not? They never get uh, their response. What are they going to do now? So they want to turn to another community, again, Spanish-Portuguese community. So there was another one in Hamburg. The problem was that in Hamburg at the time, there was no functioning Besden. Uh, the previous rabbi had passed away. And so therefore, that wasn't an option. So interestingly, they turned to the Chacham Tzvi. Why the Chacham Tzvi? The Chacham Tzvi lived right near Hamburg, in a town called Altena. He was Ashkenazi. His last name is Ashkenazi. Tzvi Ashkenazi. However, he had a lot of his chinuch, was in the Ottoman Empire in different cities with a strong Sephardi influence, and he learned with a lot of Sephardish Chachamim, which is why he got the name Chacham Tzvi, that Rabbonim, Sephardish Rabbonim, went by the name Chacham. And so he uh, was familiar to Sephardim, and it looked like they got the idea, you know what, he's an Altana, we'll ask him, and they sent him the letter. And this is the background for this tshuva that we started reading, uh, that we started reading over here. Now before we go to the tshuva of the Chacham Tzvi, we need to ask ourselves, what indeed did David Neto mean? What was he trying to say when he said those words? Nature is God, and God is nature. So let's turn to the Shalah. The Shalah lived a little bit before this. The Shalah lived in the 1500s, early 1600s, and he speaks about two different ways of relating to the, the God's interaction with uh, nature and with our world. Look what he says. He neisvaras ha'olam. The way people normally think about how the heavenly bodies work is as follows. Yes, God created everything out of nothing. And therefore, God can do whatever he wants. He could change the system. He can make miracles. However, in the beginning, God gave to the heavenly bodies the ability to direct the world. And every heavenly body is responsible for its own domain. And the world operates in its way. As if to say, as if God removed his hand from the world. Rock, however, these people say, if God observes that he wants to change something, fine, then he'll intervene. He'll do a Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, he'll do a Kriyas Yamsuf. But that's breaking the system. The default is that he's disengaged. The Chol's man, She'enay Meshaded, as long as he doesn't break the system, then the heavenly bodies, they direct what happens in our world but due to the power vested in them at the time of creation. Again, Shalah is saying that this is called Tzvara Sa'oyla. The way I understand that to mean is many, many people, Jews and non-Jews, believe this way. What's he talking about here? So in previous classes, we spoke about astrology. And this is a little bit related to that. The idea 
that heavenly bodies are responsible for different areas in life. There's one that's responsible for war, and another for blood, and another for healing, and another for beauty, and another for wisdom. And somehow each one of these is responsible for much more. Why? Because God gave them those abilities and those koiches. And so many, many people think that God walked away. He gave to these planets the, 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 the you go direct the world. And the Abishur takes a nap. Now, they, do, they, all, they believe they're Jew, believing Jews and perhaps non-Jews as well. So how do they reconcile their belief with this? They say that, yeah, if God wants to re-enter history, he always has the ability to do so, and that is a miracle. This is what the Shalah calls the Svara Sa'oil. Amnam, he says, the truth is, if you want to know what I think is the truest Amuna, it's interesting, he doesn't say that the previous view is Kfira. He doesn't say it's heresy. And the reason he doesn't say it's heresy is because I think so long that the person is going to believe that the Ebishter has the ability to re-enter at any time that he wants, then it's not off the table to have this particular belief. But he still thinks it's wrong. And so he says, the true Amunah is that Hashem is Baruch is Mechadish Betuvu God renews creation every moment. And his energy is emitted from him in a, in, a, in a conscious way. And if God would withhold his energy, even for one moment, everything would be as if it weren't, and all of Metzius would become bottle. If these words are familiar to you, uh, from the beginning of Shara Yichud Vamuna, uh, there's a reason for that. And that's because the Alter Rebbe was very much a student of the Shalah, and so used many of his, uh, a number of his teachings, and even some of his language. Now, uh, but, so, but what's he saying here? He's saying here that that's not the, the MS is, God is involved every minute in history. Then he deals with a question. The question he says in the Piyot, Kel Adin, that we say on Shabbos, we say, Koyach Ugvura Nasan Bohem, Liyos Moshel Mekerev Tevel, that God gave Koyach into the heavenly bodies, that they should be Moshel Mekerev Tevel. So he explains, that's not what it means. It doesn't mean that God gave you know, the full autonomy to these heavenly bodies and then he walked away. That's not what it means. What it means is that just like the eye has the ability to, has the tchunis, the physical eye has the tchunis to see. But according to like uh, Kabbalah, how does it work? There's a nefesh. You have a nefesh in the person and the nefesh in the person and through the, through the eye being set up in a certain way, so then the nefesh is able to shine through it and the person is able to see. Likewise with the ability to hear. Yeah, the ear is set up in a certain way that therefore, when the nefesh is shining through the, the, that particular part of the body, it therefore uh, turns out that the person is able to hear. So, so too, what, 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 what it means that we say, uh, uh, just means that God created each one of these heavenly bodies. Remember, he's, he's within a very strong astrological model. So, Yehoshua created each one of these heavenly bodies that they have certain tchunas, that therefore it's able to do war, it's able to do blood, it's able to do beauty, it's able to do wisdom, it's able to do all these things, but on its own it does nothing. And then when the Yehoshua puts his energy through these heavenly bodies, so then it's able to affect what it's able to affect. This is the Shalom. The Alter Rebbe also addressed people who say God disengaged from the world, but you'll notice that when the Alter Rebbe talks about it, he does so differently. He says, he refers to people who are people who deny miracles. In other words, this is a much stronger, uh, uh, this is a much, uh, this is creating a much stronger detachment between God and the world because it's absolute. This is a view that says it's absolute, that there cannot even be a miracle. 
And they go on, uh, he, the Altarebbe goes on to say that these are people who compare Maise Hashem to Maise Enesh Atach Buloisav, that uh, just like when a human being makes a keli, the keli does not need the human being anymore, <coughs> so Shamayim Ba'aretz does not need the Ebesher anymore. Again, here the Altarebbe is, is, is saying that this is Kfira because of the fact that gets in, gets in the way of Nisim. Okay. So one is a 16th century, uh, sorry, is from the, written in the 1600s, early 1700s. Shari Yechud is written in the late 1700s. What do you have over here? We're dealing with something that's called theism. Theism is the view, or deism. Theism is the view that says that Azav Hashem Asaretz, the Ebishter is detached, he's no longer involved. There could be different madregas in deism, how, what type of detachment your, 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 uh, a person is doing, but this is a common thing. The fact that the Shalom was writing about it, the fact that the Alter Rebbe was writing about it, this was a common uh, issue at, at the day. And many secular philosophers uh, writing during this period of time subscribed to some sort of view that was that was similar to, to this. And this is where David Nato's speech was coming. This is what he was trying to resolve. This is what he was trying to teach. Uh, and in fact, he's going, well, Which one was he, coming? he was coming to negate this. David Nato is coming to negate deism. So let's see how. So let's go back, let's go back to the letter uh, that, he, that the people from Amsterdam sent about the speech. Let's continue. So here is the speech that he gave on Chav Gimel Kislev. I said nature and God is, is one. God and nature is one. And now I'm going to defend it. And here he continues saying, again, we're reading from the letter that they sent to Amsterdam asking of this kosher. He says, English? King, huh? Was it in English? No, sorry. This was written in Spanish, Portuguese, and it's been translated. King, uh, King David confirms it in Capital Kuf Mem Zayin, where it says, uh, Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving, who covers the heavens with clouds, Hamachase Shemayim Ba'avin, Hamechin Laoretz Matar, Hamatzmiya Acharim Chaser, who makes grass grow upon the mountain. Says Herb David Nato in his speech, Pay attention to this, you Jews. Because it is the principal point to our religion. This is very, very important. What do you see clearly in this Pasuk? Things that normally you say is nature. Rain, clouds, grass. That's nature, right? And what do we see? It's being directed by the Abishter. So if you stop right here, what do you see he's trying to do? David Nato is trying to do what the Shalom is doing. He's trying to do what the Alter Rebbe is doing. Don't say God is disengaged and maybe only inter re-intervenes if it's necessary for a miracle. No. The things that are everyday nature is my is, Sasha. Is, 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 is he continues. But necessarily, the word teva, nature, is the invention of our modern authors of about 400 to 500 years back, since it is not to be found in the literature of our ancient sages. He says, if you look at Chazal, at least in the, you look at the Gemara and the Midrashim, you're not going to find them using the word teva. Why? Because there is no such a thing as teva. Because instead, what do the Chazal say? They say, who used to say, the blessed God causes the wind to blow. God causes the rain to descend. God sends the dew. From which we may infer that God does all that which the moderns ascribe to nature. So let's stop here. There are people, modern people, who in the early 1700s say, you know how this and this happened? Because of nature. A good word that's still used today, to that, that is this perspective, is mother nature. Mother Nature, there's some, there's some sort of force that exists, that's, and they just call it nature, and that force is kind of in charge for all the things that happen in this world. So he says, that's not Judaism, you can't believe that. It's all the Abishter. Thus, it may be said, there is no nature. There's no such a thing. 
but that which is providence, hashkacha pratis, which people call teva, nature. And this is why I said that God and nature, nature and God are all the same thing. That's what I meant. There is this force that people, people, sorry, people go around asserting that there's a certain force that kind of directs everything and they call it nature and they mean nature and not God. And, and they say that God created that force that, so to speak, is in control of everything. So therefore I come and say, there's no such a thing. That thing is actually God. That thing you're actually supposed to worship as Abishas, Mamish Elikus. This doctrine, is, so what I said is devout, it's pious, and it's holy, and those who do not subscribe to it, they are heretics and atheists. This ends the speech that he gave on Parshas Vayesh of Chav Kimul Kislev in the year 1703, November 20th, in the in Vushal. Okay. So now you have to almost wonder, so what's the problem? What, what, why is there even an issue over here? Okay, hold, hold that thought for a second. They continue writing to the community in Amsterdam. And as the said pronouncement has been rejected by some and embraced by others, some people in the community are for it, some people are against it. In other words, the writers here are neutral. It is necessary that we should trouble your excellencies, praying that as zealous and God-fearing men, you should give orders to the gentlemen, chachamim, or the basedim of your noble congregation. In other words, they were writing to the Balabatim in Amsterdam, that they should tell the Rabbanim in Amsterdam that they should expound for us the truth of our holy law on the point in question, so that we may, <laughs> by their decision, know that which should be believed and so obviate different opinions in such an important matter. How can we have a machloikas about this question? We can't have a machloikas about this question. We need an answer. Uh, and, and before they become deeply established, you know, in the beginning, uh, once people settle in on a belief, it's very, very hard to change it. And so therefore, we hope we get uh, the answer. But, one sec. They didn't, we didn't get an answer. They didn't get an answer. And so therefore, they wrote to the Chacham Tzvi, as I said before. And so the Chacham Tzvi, in his tshuva, first what he does is he quotes a hisnatzlus of um, a, uh, from Reb David Nato. In other words, Reb David Nato wrote a memo to the Chacham Tzvi and says, by the way, and here's the speech that I said. And here I want to explain what I said. And when we read this, you'll better understand because you're going to see he's apologizing. He's negating something. I didn't mean to say something. And this will make it clear what the problem was. So the Chacham Tzvi quotes this uh, memo as follows. David Nato says as follows. You know what? Before we read this, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll summarize outside. You have the word nature could actually mean two different things. You know, before, till now, when I was using the word nature, I was talking about in the sense of a controlling force in the universe or mother nature. However, you could also refer to a nice scene as nature, or you could refer to the teva of a particular organism as nature, or that the nature of fire is hot, and the nature of water is that it flows, right? So the word nature and the word teva can mean two different things. So now, if what you're saying is on this mother nature, no such a thing exists, and whatever that is, that is God, that's kosher, that's great, no problem. And that's what David Nato was trying to say. If, however, a person would come and say, yeah, nature, as in the warmth of fire, that that's God, that obviously is problematic. You can't talk about physical things in this world as being God. And so that's where the issue was. The word nature is itself an ambiguous word. So you had listeners in the show said, you heard what he said? This cup is God. This cup is part of nature, right? This table is God. Oh, so he's a pantheist. So what's that? Pantheism was also in fashion then very much in fashion at that time. And that is to say, there is no God. And the only God is, is the world, is the physical world, is God with, and nothing else. There is nothing other than the physical world. That's called pantheist. That all, pan means all in Greek, 
all is God. Everything is God. Now that could sound very holy, but everything is God only in the sense what we observe, what we experience in this physical world and nothing beyond it. There is no such a thing as a transcendent Abishter. So in other words, you actually had two different philosophies that were pulling in different ways. One was very materialist. Materialist, sometimes it's associated with Spinoza, who lived at this time, which says, this is what you have. What you, what you see is what you get. That's all there is. That was one prevailing philosophy. The other prevailing philosophy was of the deists, who believe in the existence of the God, but to various degrees, detach him from the things in every, in er, in, in, from, from everyday life. So he gave a whole speech trying to negate the first view, trying to say, no, deism is wrong. The Abishur is involved. God is nature. Now, what he meant was that nature was the mother nature, the teva, that force that people say is kind of, the, there's like this software that kind of runs everything, and they were just saying it's called nature. So no, there's no nature. It's the Abishur. It's God. That's providence. I never meant it on this specific. So the, use, the words he uses for, to, to, declare, to declare the difference between these two things is teva klali and teva prati. Teva klali is the word he uses more. And that you could say is God. That you could say, let's go worship it. Not We could, we could worship it. You have to worship it. We pray to that. So that's teva klali. And that's the one where he said, teva elikos is teva and teva is elikos. Then he goes on to say, teva prati, which what he means is a, an actual physical item uh, with its unique characteristics to point to that and to say that that is God, that's off the table. So let's read a little inside to see how he makes this point. Davar Yudua, it is well known. Clouds and rain and plants, these are what he calls tivim pratim, detailed teva, but for us we're going to call it, it's actual physical teva. It's also known, the person who actually, the entity that actually covers the clouds with uh, the sky with clouds, he is, he is not one and the same with the cloud. In other words, if the Pasuk says that God is the one who covers, who blankets the sky with clouds, so there's a clear distinction. There's the one who does the act, that's God, and then there's the actual cloud, which is the feature of nature. So he's like, I quoted that Pasuk. If I quoted that Pasuk, what does that mean? What does that mean? It means that very clearly I believe and I hold that there's a machasa. There's the entity that's doing it. And that's the God, not the cloud. If I really wanted to say that a cloud is God, that a table is God, then I wouldn't have had a source. I wouldn't have had Psukim backing this up. I wouldn't have Chazal backing this up. Because the Psukim talk about God Blanketing the sky with clouds. It doesn't say that God is the cloud. And he goes on. We say, Mashiv haruach. That God is the, is the actor behind the fact that there's ruach, behind the fact that there is wind. Whereas he's not synonymous with uh, the ruach. Memele nishma bibiru. So obviously, it's so clear if you read my words, shakavanasi lachriach, that I want to say, shasiba hamachase shamayim, that the cause for why there is clouds, and why there is winds, it's not this uh, uh, entity called Teva, but because there are people who consider this, they say, oh, Mother Nature, it's Mother Nature. So I'm showing them the truth. This that they attribute to Teva. To say, no, that same thing you're linking to Teva, you have to link to God. 
which means I wasn't talking about Teva in the sense of the Teva of an organism or the nature of a the nature in the sense of a beautiful scene or, 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 or anything like that. This was his clarification that he was giving. And now we have a little bit more of an understanding of what the issue is. Now, if we're honest and you look at the story, you're like, okay, this should have been clear. This should, this should have been worked out. Like this, this should not have turned into this whole story that it turned into. So the Chacham Tzvi had a son, who was very famous, who's known as the Yavis, Yaakov Ben Tzvi, that's Rosh Hashanah. And he, uniquely from among Daily Yisrael, he wrote an autobiography, which is fascinating. How many Daily Yisrael wrote an autobiography about themselves, their own personal story? It's called Megillah Sefer. And in Megillah Sefer, he alludes to this incident, and he basically writes as follows. Ira'oz, the story then happened, Shadar Ashchacham Neto, uh, he gave that speech. And he said that Teva is Hashem Yisbarech Ba'atzmai. And now that turned into politics. Why? There was pre-existing politics and division in the community. And on one side, they hated him to the Chacham Redavid Neto. The Orvim Limtsaloy Ovain and they ambushed him looking to find a sin, Asharchata Beninus Hasasham, to accuse him of doing heresy. And that's why Asu Sharureha, and that's why they caused this whole tumult about this Drasha. So, did they find something that they could kind of reasonably get away with as an accusation? Yes, they did find something. Did they really honestly believe that this is that the that the rabbi was a pantheist? That Imamish believed that God is the physical things around him? The, the, uh, very, very difficult that this was the case. But you have to remember, a lot of the Jews are also not educated. They didn't have a very strong education, which is why there are many people who are probably on the fence and unsure, uh, which is why they end up having this question going to Amsterdam and then eventually coming to and eventually coming uh, to London. Okay, so now let's get to the tshuva of the Chacham Tzvi. So what did he actually Answer. So the Chacham Tzvi begins his tshuva by saying, the truth is, you know, how does a rov, usually a, a, a tshuva from a rov is halachic issues. Very, there, are very, there are some, but there are very few tshuvas that are like this, that deal with theological questions. Um, but, okay, he, he's going to do what he's used to. What's the rov do the first thing? You try to find precedent. So he's going to try to find precedent. And he wants to find, is there another God of Israel that said words that were similar to what David Nato uh, said. And he says, yes. He says, in fact, there is a commentary to the Kuzri, the original Kuzri, that was uh, written by Rabbi Yehuda Alevi. There's a, a, a comment to that Kuzri, a commentary called Kel Yehuda, written by a man named Yehuda Moscato, Italy, 1530 to 1589. Those are his dates. And he wrote a prominent Pirush to Kel Yehuda. And look what he writes. We call God Teva. Why? Because he's because he engraves with his seal the, the 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 shape and the look of every single of every single uh, creature in Hebrew. How do you say a coin? Matbea. Why is a coin called a matbea? Because matbea is, has a certain shape, has a certain form, has a certain image, and that's the word teva. So God engraves or places or configures each individual uh, entity in a certain way. 
And this is why he's called a Tava. And Rabbi Yehuda Muscato goes on to say, links this to the idea of Hashkacha Pratis, that Hashem is involved in every single one of the creatures from the biggest ones to the smallest ones. So look at now, he wasn't saying the mamish, the same point that David Neto was saying. But generally speaking, we see he was comfortable using the word teva. He was comfortable using the word teva for Hashem. And, uh, and he gives a specific reason. He doesn't hear me nature. He doesn't mean nature so much. But at the end of the day, he was comfortable using the word teva uh, uh, for the individual characteristics of each thing. And because God is the one who gives that, therefore the Ebesher himself is teva. No, so that's a little bit of a source, so we can calm down. That's number one. Then we come to the main part of the Tshuva, the Chacham Tzvi, where he writes the main issues. So let's read that at number 12. I listen to the complaints. I don't understand what's bothering the people. Is it because... He's denying the concept of this mother nature. They're so enamored with this idea that there should be this general nature. Why? Because they think that it's degrading for God. People think, what? The great God is going to be involved in us? Better say that he set up a software system that runs the show and he gets involved when he needs to. So maybe that's what's bothering them? He's just what the Chachamsi is trying to figure out. Yedu, you should know, if you're looking for uh, nature uh, to run its own thing, you're going to cause many different problems. If you believe in then wherever you will turn, you will be confident. In other words, you can have much stronger betachin. It seems like he's making an emotional argument. Again, it seems from the Shalah that if you believe God can re-enter whenever he wants and that he does re-enter whatever he wants, that it doesn't seem to cross the line into Kfirah. So what argument to go against it? He says if you, if you want to have that type of viewpoint, that type of viewpoint is not good for B'tachim Pashat, that a person should feel confident in his day-to-day affairs. How could you feel confident in your day-to-day affairs if you say that he runs the soft, he, ra- he lets the software program runs and he turns away? Okay, so uh, that can't be the issue. Is it, are they think that David Nato meant that tables and chairs are God? That the warmth of fire and the wetness of water, is that what they wanted to say? You can't even assume that a that a that a that a um that a, someone without brains would say something like that. It's very clear what he meant that he's talking about. He's talking about mother nature. That's what he means. It's God. He's talking about that general concept of nature. He's not talking about nature as in physical items. So that can't be an issue either. Oh, maybe it's just a wording issue. Maybe it was a wording issue. And that is, they agree in concept that this idea, that there's this force that's called nature, no, 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 that force is really God. They agree with that. But they just are not happy with Dov and Nato saying that we could almost use nature as a God's name. Maybe that's, maybe the issue is partial with the naming. He says, can't be. Why can't it be? Because I'm going to bring you from Gedali Yisrael who used the word Teva and linked it to God. So the truth is he already had Rabbi Yehuda Muscato who did that. But now he's going to bring even more prominent sources. So he brings here from the Shalom. 
And the Shalah has a very interesting conversation that he quotes from other Mekubalim, namely from Menachem Rakanti, who was one of the Rishonim who lived in Italy. And they have a very interesting discussion about Schar right? What's the primitive way of thinking about Schar I think it's relatively speaking primitive, is that you made the Abishur mad, so to speak. Because he made the Abishur mad, so therefore he's going to come out and he's going to lash out against you. Or you made the Abishur happy, so because you're happy, so therefore he brings you. That's one way of looking at it. The Shalah said that he thinks that's primitive. So he writes, Ein haschar haskemi rakutivi. It's not, it, it, haskemi is actually a hard word to translate in English, so I'll just, the concept is, it's TV, it's natural. What does he mean by that? So he quotes the Rikanti in Parshas Bichu Kaisai that says mm-hmm. as follows, Da! It's not reward and punishment alone. Just like when you plant, you reap. If you don't wear clothes, you're going to be cold. So too, Hashem created the world in such a way that when a person engages in mitzvahs, so then as a natural result of that, he gets the brachas. And when a person does a negative things, so it's like when a person sticks their hands into the fire. It's not that God watched and he saw that you stick your hands into the fire. He said, now I'm upset at you. And so therefore I'm going to burn your hand. That's not how it works. It's that the automatic result of sticking your hand in fire, because God made it that way, is that it burns. And so he, uh, he is saying, that the Shalah is saying, the Rakanti is saying, that this is how Schar Oynish works. Obviously it's a whole topic in itself, Schar Oynish, which doesn't need to concern us now, but look at the words that they used. The words that they both used, Shalah, was Teva. They're talking about God's system of reward and punishment, and they called it Teva, uh, both the Rakanti and the Shalah. That's one example that the Chacham Tzvi brings. Then he turns to the Emek HaMelech. The Emek HaMelech is a Kabbalah Sefer that's uh, it's written, uh, it's written in the, uh, under the inspiration of the Arizal. And uh, there's a famous uh, passage there toward the beginning of the Sefer or toward the beginning of one section of the Sefer. It says as follows. Before anything, God wanted, this is authored in the 1600s in Germany. God, uh, yeah, God wanted to create the world. Why? Because he can't be a king without having a people. That's why God wanted the world. Digab, another reason why he wanted the world. Teva hatoiv lehetiv. Because the nature of good, God is good. The nature of good is to bestow goodness. If you don't have a world, how are you going to bestow goodness? What do you see here from the Emek HaMelech? He used for the Ebishter, Teva hatoiv lehetiv. That used the word Teva. So that can't be the problem. So again, if the issue was you can't have God without an intermediary, because then it means he's involved in puny matters. No, we reject that. That's not okay. If you think that David Nato was saying tables and chairs are God, no way he meant that, and that's really clear. If it's a naming issue, we see there isn't a naming issue with it. There's nothing wrong with referring to aspects of God as nature. And so therefore, he says, but he concludes the Tshuva saying, we need to be grateful to this great rabbi of David Neto, to warn the people and encourage the people that they should not follow the philosophers, meaning the deists. And he showed them the true faith that everything is with God's providence. And although really this tshuva is rather obvious, and so therefore I could have 
sign this myself. I went to two of the great scholars here in Altana. And we discussed the matter. And we agreed that this is MS, and he's right. That's where he lived. Friday of Yud Zayin Menachem of Shnas Tov Samachei. That's the summer. Oh, he actually just writes Menachem. This was common, by the way. So you not write Menachem of, just write Menachem. Shnas Tov Samachei. That's 1705. It was about a month after. This Shuvah was written about a month after that Rabbi Yosef passed away while still in excommunication, and which is why he was buried on the margins of the cemetery. Uh, the, uh, the issue hadn't been resolved yet. Uh, now it was resolved by the time they sent this back. And all the sources seem to indicate that once uh, this happened, uh, that the story uh, was over. And he signs his name, Tzvi Ashkenazi Samachtes. So just a word on this. Uh, Sfardim have this custom, many Sfardim have this custom of signing their name, Samachtes, and it's, of, it's often assumed that this means Sfardi Tahor. The problem is that Tzvi Ashkenazi was not a Sfardi Tahor. Um, at least for him, uh, he probably did not mean Sfardi Tahor. Uh, it could be other people meant that, whether today or maybe even then, I don't know. But it's hard to believe that he meant that. And so uh, the other alternative reading for this is Seifei Tav, May his end be good, which is another way of saying, may he have a good life, may he have a long life, and die uh, after may of Esrim Shana. So it's basically saying Shlita. That's uh, probably uh, what he meant, again, about others, Ich Okay, so that summarizes this issue. And again, the sources seem to indicate that, um, that after this, uh, the fight kind of subsided. And uh, Rabbi David Nato went on to write his Sefer that we spoke about earlier, and he published it, and it's a Chashva uh, Sefer, it's a prominent book. And that's that. Now, this whole tshuva of the Chacham Tzvi actually surfaces a few times in Chabad Chassidus. How is that? So first of all, Chabad Chassidus, quoting from earlier sources from Kubalim, talk about how the different names of Hashem, each one has its own significance. And the name of Elikim is Gematria Tava. This was already said by earlier. So now, obviously not Elikim with a kuf. It's Elikim Aleph Lamed Hey Yud Mem. It's Bigamatria Ha Teva. Okay, so this was said already by like the Pardis, the Ramosha Kodavero, writing in the 1500s. He pointed out that there is this link. What is the meaning of this link? Obviously, there's a special link between Shem Kim, this aspect of God, uh, more so than any other, with Teva. What is the connection between the two? So Chassidus explains, here's one example in the Kote Torah, there are many other examples where Chassidus says along these lines, Elikim is Gematria Ha Teva. Why? Koshem Alikim is the Mogen and the Nartik Hamaster Al Shem Havaya. Shem Havaya represents God where he's revealed. And anyone who comes into contact with Shem Havaya automatically witnesses Hashem. And so, in other words, we're dealing here with a problem. If we're right that Abishur is really in control of everything, so, and, and that's, why don't we observe that? This is like the big question that a lot of the Mikubalim uh, discuss. Well, the answer to that is that as much as all of this is God's doing, but there is this shame elikim, there is this concept of hell and the Hester, of concealment, which doesn't allow us to see the truth. Because of that, it appears to us that the world is operating on its own. And that's called Teva. So now we know why is elikim Elikim is what allows the facade of, I don't see him. And it allows that reality to set in. And so what do we see? We, we see nature. 
Afshu be'emes hakol, everything is m'shem avayah, who's mechadish betuv b'cholim tamim ma'ezim b'reishis. And so, but we don't see that because shenim shachadei magen v'nartek hamachasa o'master. This is the Alter Rebbe's Mimer, and he adds, or maybe it's the Samach Sadak that adds, I'm not sure, the Ayin Me'inyin HaTeva, Shailus HaTshuvah, Chacham Tzvi, Simen Yudches, and it's Karoiv L'Masha Omarnu. It's similar, it's not exactly to what we're talking about here, but it's similar to what we're talking about. Okay, I mean, it's a, it's a little different. The Tshuvah of the Chacham Tzvi is just saying that there is this force, there's this Mother Nature kind of force that's directing everything, that people believe in. So we come and say, by the way, it's not Mother Nature, it's really God. So I say, Tava Zalikus. That was an, that's an Akuda in the Chuvah Chacham Tzvi. Here, the Nakuda over here is, really, if the Abishur is creating everything, it should be so obvious and apparent. Why don't we see it? It's because God has this concealing power within himself, represented by Shem Elikim, which doesn't allow us to see this truth, which therefore, uh, uh, the, the result is that we see Tava, that we see nature. So it's kind of... Uh, I, I, they don't really see these, these sources don't really seem to be in conversation with each other. Okay, this is brought in many different places in Chesedus. It's when it says Aleikim and it links it to Teva, it refers to this Tshuva. All right. But really there's a more important conversation to have over here. The more important conversation to have is that there is a statement in Chesedus that summarizes many, many, many teachings of Chesedus that is awfully similar to what David Nato said. And that is, David Nato said, God is nature and nature is God. Okay? He explained what he meant. He didn't mean this. He didn't mean me. He didn't mean my body and your. He didn't mean any of this. He meant that up there in the Reki Ashvi. That nature is God. Right? Okay. Chesidus has a very similar line. That does mean down here. The Sikha Defidik Rebbe that sums this up where he says, In Kurt Sever, that haste us, and is alts, alts is there. He is everything, and everything is him. Very, very similar words to the words of David Nato. But what does this mean? Alt here means everything in existence. Every single level, spiritual, physical, every single thing in reality is part of the Abishur, said in two ways. One, er is alt, and the other, he is everything, and the other, alt is er. Okay. So in other words, what they worked really hard, both Reb David Neto and the Chacham Tzvi, to say is off the table. That wasn't part of the discussion. Well, <coughs> the reality is that Mikubalim and then Chassidus very much put it onto the table. They said, what do you mean, we're never, no one ever thought about calling Alikus to anything that's a physical thing. No, it's just to the, to the element of nature that directs everything. That could be called Alikus. Okay, but Chassidus has this idea, Er is Alt, and Alt is Er, and this is obviously a huge topic. And it turns out that a big controversy erupted because of this. So we have a letter from the Alter Rebbe in Tafkuf Nun Zayin. This is 1797. And basically the historical context of this letter is there's this dispute between Hasidim and the non-Hasidim. We have to put an end to this dispute and let's kind of set up some sort of meeting and we'll get Rabbanim and mediators like the Chacham Tzvi style issue and we're going to resolve our dispute. The Alter Rebbe wrote that he does not believe that it's going to be really possible to resolve the dispute for numerous reasons. And while so doing, he talks about the theological protests that the Gra and others had against Hasidim. So let's read the text. According to what I heard from his Talmudim, it's going to be clear, it's clear from the context is referring to the Grah. This is his argument, I'll say for Likute Amorim, on the book Likute Amorim. This is not the Tanya. Likute Amorim here means the teachings of the Magad of Mizrich. 
which were already printed. Asher Meforosh Bem, where it says in these Farim, Pirush Mamalek Kalamin, when it says God fills up all of the worlds, which is a language in the Zayar, and the Zayar also says, there is no place void of him. So the Hasidic Svarim take this literally, Kipshutai Mamish. However, in his eyes, he apikurses Gemurah, it's heresy, Lamar, to say, to say that God is in lowly items. How can you say such a thing? So, how do they interpret the word God fills everything? It just means providence, which is exactly what David Nato is saying. The focus is the providence, that's God. But nothing else. Nothing else. We can't look at. Uh, at anything else and say that it, it, that it's part of God or anything like that, this language uh, made them very nervous. And, and the, and the Alta Rebbe is saying that this is the difference. How you t- interpret the words, and how you inter- interpret the words, he fills up all of the worlds. Then, one second, then it goes further. He says that there's also the issue of the sparks from the Klippus. And he talks about what is a spark in the Klippus? That means there's a part of God, so to speak, that's in negativity. So he says, look, the Alter Rebbe says, you're not going to find this idea before the Arizal. It doesn't exist. Even in the Zayar, it's not there, Befedish. Okay, so really, the only way to accept this idea is, is trusting in the Arizal. So he says, I believe that every word from the Arizal was taught them by Elio and to the Hanavi, this spiritual revelation, and therefore I accept everything. However, my understanding is that the Grah does not accept that everything from the Grah is from Elio, only a little, and the rest Arizal developed with his own mind, and therefore the Grah feels comfortable saying, this I accept and this I reject. So in other words, we see the Grah had two issues. One issue was, how can you say, that means God is present here in the physical world, you can't say that. And number two, how can you say that there is a spark of God in Klippa, you can't say that. And the Altarebbe brings us up to say, how are we going to resolve this type of issue? The Alter Rebbe felt there was no real way at that time, especially because he had tried earlier, he didn't feel there was anything to do that would actually change this. Okay, so this really opens a whole other topic, so we need to understand. So why is this okay? Why is what Chassidus say is, is okay? So obviously, just state the obvious, Chassidus is never saying that God is limited to a particular table. Chassidus is saying that God is God who transcends everything. And he also is present within a particular item, number one. Number two, there's never a conversation in Kabbalistic or Hasidic sources about, therefore, worshipping the table. That's not on the table. Why? Because that's not what the table is. The table is what you observe. That's what you, and that's your experience. And so, therefore, to talk about you observe, you, you having a conversation of, of, get, of, 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 of treating it as a god is never on the table. But, uh, but yes, Hasidus does speak about something that was off the table for the Chacham Tzvi, that was off the table for David Nieto, and that is the idea that God is present in everything, using very similar language to David Nieto. So it kind of would have been interesting if Reb David Nieto and the Chacham Tzvi you know, would have uh, been able to see what happened just about 100 years later and to observe this whole conversation, uh, that probably would have been interesting. Okay, let's close this out about Hanukkah, and then we'll take comments and questions. Hanukkah is coming, and so all of this we can connect to the Yantav Hanukkah. Why? It's a very well-known question that everyone likes to talk about all the time, about why is the miracle of Hanukkah eight days? The miracle is only seven, because they found enough oil to last for one day. There are hundreds and hundreds of answers, or at least they say there are hundreds of answers to this uh, question. Interestingly, the Rishonim didn't seem too bothered by this question, because none of them really addressed it uh, for whatever reason. But in the last 500 years, there's been so many answers that have been uh, poured on to this. So I saw from 
I saw in the Sefer, I think it was called Yismach Yisrael, from the Rebbe, from the Alexander Rebbe, I don't remember right now. But anyway, it's a beautiful part. He says, and this connects a little to what we're talking about. He says that in the Moisur, there's a line there where it says, Bnei Vina Yemei Shmoina. Moisur is not the easiest uh, peel to read and to understand. But Bnei Vina, they're understanders, children of understanding. Yemei Shmoina, Kavu, and then they made the Yomtev for eight. So in other words, it was a certain type of understanding that required, that allowed them to make the Yomtev of Hanukkah for eight days. Why? He says, because the intuition is the Teva you take for granted. Yeah, that I got. I have that in the bag. And so we become, uh, we, we take it as a given and we've become not so grateful about it. The miracle, oh, we do the miracle. So they were B'nai Vina, they had a Bina, they were to understand that what? Only for the seven miraculous nights I'm going to thank God, but for the fact that he did the miracle of creating the world with the oil in the first place and giving us the ability to have light from that. So because it's nature, so therefore you're not going to thank him. That also deserves, uh, uh, that also deserves, uh, deserves thanks. Why? Because that Tava, it's also Eibishter. That was exactly what David Nato's point was. That Teva is, 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 is Bash from Hashem. It's not a separate thing. So therefore, uh, I don't know, maybe even the discussion happened two days before Hanukkah, Chav uh, Gimel Kislev, maybe they were talking about miracles at the time. Maybe they were talking about the miracle of Hanukkah. Maybe that's why it came up. I don't know, that's speculation. But anyway, this is a small uh, window into a very interesting uh, saga that uh, took place in London uh, at the you know the cradle of this uh, Jewish community uh, at the time. All right.